Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Martin Waghorn to my Victor Jokeres. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Getting a little bit stressed, a little bit nervous. We're in the business end of uh, the Christmas buying present period and mm. um, I'm not I'm not in a good place at the minute, I, I won't lie. Have you not sorted it out yet? Christmas is on Sunday. <laughs> I've done a fair bit, but there's still a lot to do. There's always that last minute scurry into a, a shopping centre. Plus the uh, the strikes aren't helpful either. What a surprise that the man who turns up late to football matches <laughs> has left all his Christmas shopping to the last minute. I got everything done before December, I think. Well, yeah, it helps when you uh, when no one likes you, so you have no one to buy for. But I've got plenty Shop. of plenty of family and friends that uh, love me and need me to uh, supply them with gifts. I'm not sure they will love you after you've <laughs> failed to buy them a gift, Justin. Are you going to give us a bit of an insight into what you have bought people? Well, no, because if they listen, then that ruin the surprise. I doubt they, they do. They don't I, listen. I, 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 yeah, I doubt my six-year-old nephew is a you know is a, is an avid listener of uh, of the podcast. Um, I bought a unicorn football for my for my niece, um, which is actually more expensive than a replica Premier League ball. How, what's that about? What the hell is this unicorn ball? I'm I'm now very interested to know why it's so expensive. Uh, well, it's, it's like a pink glittery football, and she's just getting into football. Um, so it's obviously she needs um, small relatable prompts to get her interested. Uh, apparently, a unicorn is is the is the right way. She she's not very big either, so a size five Premier League replica ball would not be ideal. So this size three unicorn pink glittery football is um, is the one apparently. And it's yeah, bloody expensive. Are you planning a project Beth Mead with her? You've got to you've got to take inspiration from it, and hopefully, the investment now will pay dividends in the future when she puts me up, um, you know, in a, in a lodge somewhere for free. I don't know. Yeah. Trying to just just milk that uh, cash potential cash cow right there. Absolutely. Someday she'll look back on um, you buying that football when she wins Sports Personality of the Year. She'll be saying, <laughs> "I want to be great, give a." Big thank you to Justin Peach, my uncle, for buying me that unicorn football all those years ago. And here I am now, the Ballon d'Or winner. That will be a magical moment for all involved who are listening to this podcast. But welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to look back on the couple of games we've had in the championship this past week. Talk about some of the games coming up on Boxing Day and the day after. Uh, talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. And then we'll finish off with Diddy or Didn't right at the end so let's talk about the game from Wednesday night where West Brom's winning run came to an end they were beaten 1-0 away at Coventry thanks to a last minute Victor Jokeres penalty I thought Coventry were very good here Justin and the fact West Brom have been so dominant recently just makes this performance all the more impressive yeah exactly and especially coming off the back of I would say in relation to how Mark Robin teams is normally set up, I would say it was a poor performance against Swansea, obviously the 3-0, dropping the 3-0, um, just because they weren't able to see that game out. But it seems like they've learned the lessons and they are one of those teams in a division that reacts incredibly well um, to situations. I mean, it's it's got to be a given considered their, their plight over the last however many years. Um, but Mark Robins, yeah, tightened them up. They were really, really solid. West Brom weren't allowed any freedom in the game at all um, the turnovers that Coventry were benefiting from were, were 
really positive as well. Um, and they were able to to constantly um, sustain attacks throughout the game. It was a really impressive performance from from Cov and, and one that I'm not really surprised by from Mark Robbins' team. I think the only surprise comes with the dominance that they had compared to West Brom's relatively good form of late under Corbran. So yeah, a really, really good result, really, really good performance and to definitely deserve the win in the end. Well, West Brom have been eyeing up the top six and will have certainly been fancying their chances of salvaging a playoff place after their poor start. But this was Coventry tapping them on the shoulder and saying, hey up lads, we want that as well and you're going to have to deal with us if you bloody want it. Yeah, exactly. It's... it's uh... It's, it, I think it just highlights how competitive the division is, especially for that sixth spot potentially, because um, you, you'd guarantee a few teams um, like Watford, like Norwich, to at least be in that in that top six. So it leaves potentially two. Middlesbrough might be one of those, um, and then that sixth spot is is up for grabs. And there's probably about seven or eight teams looking at it and thinking it's a realistic um, possibility. West Brom, obviously, with the, the ground that they need to make up, it's a long way for them to go. But Coventry have got momentum and they're certainly in with a shout as well. But it's really exciting and I think we've probably got a more exciting race for that sixth playoff spot than we have any any other uh, variable in the division this season. Well, Coventry have now won eight of their last 12. And I, w- I was saying in one of the last couple of shows we've done, any team who shows form like that is going to fly right up the table because of the condensed nature of this league table. And that's exactly what's happened to Coventry. One point off now with a game in hand. It's looking very good from their perspective, isn't it? And the playoff race remains extremely open because you've got two, maybe three places very much up for grabs because I'm not completely convinced by Norwich, but they should be up around there. But whatever the case... Coventry have as good a chance as anyone of getting that playoff place. And one issue is Middlesbrough and West Brom are two very strong teams who have been in great form recently. But this game shows Coventry can better at least one of them. And they've got the form to match, haven't they? I mean, eight wins in 12 is marvellous. So for me, it's all about January. And I think that's a really key month for Mark Robbins. They've got to hold on to the holy trinity of Jokerez, (laughs) O'Hare, And Hamer, that will be difficult because three marvellously talented players, and Jokeres in particular, I imagine, will be attracting plenty of suitors in January. But they've got to sign a couple of players themselves, particularly at centre-half, where they're looking very light because of injuries. So if they do that, Coventry have got a big chance because they're a great side anyway, aren't they? Um, It's just about trying to solidify it by getting a couple of additions in and staving off the vultures who are circling around the CBS arena. Uh, Speaking of Victor Jokeres, he's now separated himself from the rest of the pack in terms of the race to be top goal scorer. 11 goals he's got now for the season and he's followed by a big cluster of players on nine goals who will be fancying to challenge him. But how do you fancy his chances of winning the golden boot this season, Justin? I think the only thing missing from his game is that ability to take more of his chances, if that makes sense. Obviously, that comes down to converting more, it comes down to being more clinical, but he creates chances for himself, and not only that, but his teammates create chances um, for him as well. So he's he's getting three or four chances a game, and I think that's the only thing that would probably, um, as a buying club, make me think: is it worth putting out fifteen million, twenty million in January for him? Probably not. I would wait until the end of the season and see how his see how his season progresses. Um, but I certainly fancy his chances just because the amount of chances, <laughs> chances, 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 Coventry do create. Um, they're, they're an incredibly fluid team um, when they get going and they're always going to put Jokerez into good positions and Jokerez is going to get himself into good areas himself uh, as well. 
So he's certainly, yeah, he's, he's going to be up there. Um, but they're, it's, a, it's a competitive division this season. Uh, and I think he's going to, there'll be a few players up there with, with 19, 20 goals, I think, this season. Yeah, a bit of an underwhelming showing from West Brom. They've gone, they could have gone up to eighth if they won this game, which would have really summed up how things have turned around there, wouldn't it? And I suppose Carlos Cobran will probably be saying to his players, look, you can't win them all. We go again on Boxing Day. I think it's just a case of improving that performance um, because Coventry dominated this game. So it will serve as a, a, a big lesson for Corbran, um as to how he sets his teams up in certain fixtures because this was a really, I wouldn't say a winnable game, but it was one of those games where you go away to the CBS Arena against Coventry who are incredibly um, well-drilled and organised and structured under Mark Robbins. It's always going to be a slog. Um, so I think it's going to prove to be a, a, a fair bit of a learning curve and perhaps this, this, this defeat will be an incredibly valuable one, if that makes sense, for Corbran and his West Brom team. Because as I say, you've got to take the learnings from this game um, because there won't be much harder games than this one in the league. Um, there'll also be tough games away at Burnley, uh, against Burnley, against Sheffield United, etc. Um, but Mark Robbins seems to offer a very unique um, and a unique way of playing. They're very quick on the counter-attack. Um, so I think this will yeah, this will serve to be a very um, important lesson for Corbyn going forward. It was just one of those days where they couldn't get going and unfortunately the game was separated um, by good saves from, from Palmer in goal uh, and a penalty at the end of the game. Sheffield United now won six of their last seven games after beating Wigan 2-1 on Monday night. I was quite impressed with Wigan here. Of course, only Carlo Torre's second game in charge, but I thought they gave Sheffield United a good game. Yeah, they were certainly knocking on the door, and if it wasn't for some poor marking um, from the, from from the corner, that they, they perhaps could have got something from the game. And I, I thought they were on the end of, I would say, some dodgy decisions, but certainly some um, some interesting ones. Although Sheffield United certainly should, certainly should have had a penalty, um, but this was a, a really really entertaining game, considering it was a a, a, a Tuesday night, um, a Tuesday night game that yeah was could have been easily forgotten about. Monday this night. was a really good Monday night. Monday night. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It's, it's, it's that lead up to Christmas where everything becomes a blur. And obviously the stress of buying presents has also got, got in my head a little bit. I thought that usually comes after Christmas Day and it's that period between Christmas Day and New Year, but I didn't realise it infected you this early, Justin, but carry on. It's a two-week thing for me. Um, stressful. Um, but nonetheless, it was a really, really good performance, I thought, from Wigan. Um, there was, uh, I thought Asgard, when he came on, was, was really sharp and he added something to the attack. Just liked a little bit of quality, I think. I think if they had a little bit more quality, a little bit more confidence as well, um, they'd have got something from this game. Cause I, I thought Sheffield United dropped off massively and they sort of just retreated into their box. They managed it well, but teams will punish them, I think, um, if they if they continue to do that. But yeah, it was, it was a step in the right direction for Tory. Well, I think the only difference really was the quality that Sheffield United have. Billy Sharp's goal is a fantastic finish, which only a top striker like him would be able to score and two games is a very small sample size but I've liked what I've seen as Colo Torre as a manager so far they seem to want to play a bit more than they did under Liam Richardson and are not afraid to play that extra pass in or around the box which could potentially lead to a better chance so look they've had to play Millwall away and Sheffield United at home two very tough games for Torre but they came out of both having played quite well, got a point away at Millwall as well. So I think it's going to take a good effort to keep this Wigan team in the league. But I've seen good signs from Carlo Torres' Wigan so far. And yeah. even if he doesn't manage to keep them up, 
I think in the long term, it could be a promising match, those two. But we'll have to wait and see on that front. There was some bad news for Wigan. Jack Watmore had to go off with a pretty serious looking injury, which could be a big blow. He was Wigan's player of the season last season and they're already missing Jason Kerr for the rest of the campaign. So Wigan could be down to just two fit senior centre-halves for quite a while, which certainly wouldn't be ideal, especially in their current plight. Justin, here's a question for you. If a player has his shirt pulled so much that it's taken off of his body, how is that not a penalty? It depends where a shirt pull becomes an undressing and how that falls in line with the laws. Um, if you're just taking a shirt off a player without pulling it, um, I don't know how that's possible, but if that's the case, then then maybe it's not. I think it's just what we've seen there is a, a is a flaw in the in the laws of a shirt pull. Um, that's my that's my assessment. I, for those who haven't seen it, that's exactly what happened to Kieran Clark here. He had to sprint down the pitch without his shirt on, which surely must be breaking some sort of rules yeah. anyway, I'd have thought. Yeah. So I'd have thought the referee would have had to blow for that. But yeah, it, when it's that obvious that his shirt is being pulled, because I, I don't think Kieran Clark is clever enough to think to himself, right, I'm going to take my shirt off here and make it look really obvious that my shirt's been pulled. Um That'd be quite devious, but I don't think he was thinking that at the time. So, yeah, clearly something may have been done there if VAR was possibly involved. I don't know. Uh, but Sheffield United weren't incredible here. But when you're as good as they are, you don't have to be incredible in every game, do you? That's why they've won three on the bounce. They're a very good away side because, as you said, they don't need to perform at their best away from home to get results. They're able to grind it out. They're a very disciplined group. They're a very experienced group as well. And that helps in these situations. Uh, and then when you've got the quality that Elimin and Die possesses where he can just pick the ball up in and around the box and just run into into tight areas. If you've got someone like Buddy Sharp who can finish the way he does um, as well, you're always going to get chances. You're always going to get um, opportunities to score in games, and as well as that, you've got Ollie Newwood and Sander Berger, who were fantastic in the in the midfield. Um, they dominated midfield for 60, 70 minutes, um, and we're, we're we're key to to them picking up the three points. But as I say, you've you've got players there who just know how to win games at this level, just know how to grind games out, um, and that goes a long way into building a promotion-winning team. And as I say, if if there's if there's anything Sheffield United can take from this game is that they, they probably have to up the levels. They probably have to try and dominate games a little bit more. But then again, I don't think that's just how I don't think that's how Hecky Martin wants to set up in away games. Um, and as well as that, like, you save legs as well. Um, but it was a good performance nonetheless. Just slightly disappointing that they dropped off so much in that final sort of 20, 25 minutes. Well, let me ask you this, Justin. Sheffield United now second, five points clear of third place Blackburn. Just above them is Burnley, who on 47 points, three ahead of Sheffield United, eight points clear of Blackburn. Is there an automatic promotion race this year or is this it? The top two staying as it is and they stay relatively unchallenged. I would be comfortable in saying that both Burnley and Sheffield United will finish in their top two. And I think we've said that before, obviously, in the World Cup break when we recorded a couple of episodes. Um we predicted these two to go up. It just depends how or where they finish in that top two. Um, I fancy um, the Blades for the title. And I think that's going to be the case. Um, it'd be nice to see it more closely run, but I don't think Watford are in a position to maintain um, form with the squad they have to get closer to Sheffield United and Burnley, similar with Norwich. And Blackburn obviously may, may well drop off. Um, so there's not really any contenders, I don't think, that can get near them, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I struggle to see anyone else being strong enough. We love to promote the Championship as the unpredictable <laughs> greatest league in the world, but there will be seasons where two teams are just much stronger than the rest of the division. And I fear that could be happening this season. They've got so much strength and depth and quality that I struggle to see them dropping enough points to make it seriously interesting. Watford are the standout team who could challenge them because they've got some brilliant, talented players in their own right, a great manager. But even as I say that, they will need to strengthen in January to make that challenge a reality. Apart from that, I don't really see any other serious candidates, unfortunately. I was considering the possibility of a Middlesbrough or West Brom doing a Nottingham Forest from last season. The issue with that is um, Middlesbrough are 14 points off the top two. That's a big gap at this stage and at this stage last season Forrest were only nine points off Bournemouth and it's got to be said Bournemouth did their utmost best to keep it interesting didn't they so Burnley and Sheffield United are better than they were last season uh, than Bournemouth were last season and I can't see them dropping a serious amount of points between now and May unfortunately and mm. it doesn't do much for making the automatic promotion race very interesting but I think that's just the reality of the situation that's why the race for sixth is the one to watch. That's going to be the exciting one. You've got six or seven teams there fighting it out for a playoff place, and that's why that's why we've got to turn our attentions to um, to sixth place rather than first and second. Well, it's a shame that that's the case now at Christmas time. It's not even <laughs> Christmas yet, and we're already saying well, top two looks pretty much sorted. If there if there was going to be a team who to drop off, I probably would say Sheffield United, just because I think. Burnley are going to get stronger in January and they've still got players to come back and they've been the best team in the division so far anyway Sheffield United might but even then I think I still see that as quite unlikely just because you look at how many points they've dropped so far it's not been many and you would have to take you know another team doing extremely well between now and the end of the season and Sheffield United helping them out in their own respect as well mm -hmm. but I just, unfortunately I just can't see it happening uh, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the games coming up in the Championship on Boxing Day and the day after. Back to the Second Tier podcast. So in each preview episode of the Second Tier, Justin and I each pick a team we think is guaranteed to win in the Championship this coming weekend and also pick a team we think will be the biggest surprise winner. So with it being Boxing Day, Justin, we've also got a couple of games the day after as well. Looking ahead to them, who is your banker for that set of games? Yeah, I think Boxing Day is a really hard one to predict firstly because there's always some form of chaos in Boxing Day. Um, but nonetheless, I'm not going to pick a potential upset as a banker here. I'm going with Middlesbrough to beat uh, to beat Wigan. And I think their their quality is just going to shine through again in this game. I think Wigan have, have put in some solid, really solid foundations for Torre, but I think it's going to be a, a performance-based turnaround leading to results as opposed to results-based turnaround um, in the initial stages of his tenure. I do think he's got a fair bit to go in terms of trying to pick up those points but if you ignore the Burnley defeat from from a borough perspective they've obviously been very very good so far under Michael Carrick um, and again if it wasn't for some um, interesting goalkeeping or some lax goalkeeping from Zach Stefan Borough could have well taken a point uh, or three against Burnley despite being um, the, se um, the second best team uh, or yeah not the best team in that uh, in that game um, but they've got plenty of quality I think that's going to 
shine through in this. You've got Akpom who's in good form and I think he'll be reeling from that penalty miss and he'll want to go again. Um, Duncan Watmore obviously scored against Burnley, took his chance well and he's a player who I think can can take on another level under Michael Carrick and I just think it's, it's going to be down to quality in this game uh, and Borough have got more of it and they've, they've got the momentum as well as opposed to Torre who's just laying really solid foundations so far. So yeah, the banker for me is, is Borough to beat Wigan. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I think Middlesbrough, when you consider their recent form, the only game that they've lost recently is against a very, very good Burnley side where they gave them a good game. Um, that's always very encouraging. And then Wigan have been good recently and I think they will um, certainly give Middlesbrough a game, but in terms of pure quality, Middlesbrough are a better side and casting their eyes towards the top six, aren't they? So I'm not going to disagree with you on that one, Justin, but my banker is West Brom to win away at Bristol City. West Brom have been flying, but had a bit of turbulence away at Coventry. I still would not want to be playing them in the coming weeks, though. They've been the form team in the division and had been irresistible in this winning run. The victory against Rotherham at the weekend in particular was as close to a complete performance as you'll see from a championship side this season. They'll have been disappointed to concede a last-minute winner against Coventry, but I'll be surprised if it's burst the bubble at West Brom, that is constantly growing since Carlos Corbran's come in. Uh, I think it'll be more of a speed bump than anything too serious. And they're going away to Bristol City, who I would very much like to be facing if I wanted to get my form back on track right now. Three wins from 15 for Nigel Pearson's side. One win in their last eight at Ashton Gate. They are looking over their shoulder a bit amidst the growing threat of being in a relegation battle this season. The headline here, though, is West Brom are better than Bristol City in every department. Better forwards, better defenders, better midfielders, better manager, better form. West Brom are going in one direction, while Bristol City going in a slightly troubling one. So I expect Carlos Corbrand to chalk up another W for the baggies at Ashton Gate on Boxing Day. Can I just add the Nigel Pearson logic where he seems to win a game that relieves pressure on him? It relieves growing pressure on him and that might well come in this game against West Brom. Um, now, it's a, a completely um, unmeasurable uh, aspect to, to add in there and I do like to throw these in every now and then. Um, but as I say, Pearson's got that habit of, of picking up three points just to get the boo boys off his back for a couple of weeks before he before they start again, essentially. And that could come against West Brom. I'm not too sure about that one, Justin, but you can keep believing that if you want. Um, my upset for Boxing Day and the 27th is QPR to win away at Cardiff. Now, QPR had a great start to life under Neil Critchley by winning 1-0 away at Preston at the weekend. And I believe they'll certainly fancy their chances of making it two from two against a very sheepish Cardiff side. QPR were really good at the weekends. They were much the better side and restricted Preston to one good chance all game. And it was their solidity which really encouraged me. They've got Dunn and Clark Salter at centre-back. Two defenders I rate, Laird and Powell, who have been two of the best full-backs in the division. And then you've got Samfield in front of the defence, who has arguably been the best defensive-minded midfielder in the division this season. Certainly statistically, he's right up there. And critically at Blackpool, made them into a really solid side. He'll do the same at QPR, but the difference is he'll be able to turn to the likes of Elias Chair, Chris Willock to provide that spark and that X factor, which wins them games. Um, and 
Willock's not been in great form recently, um, but maybe Chair's return will help with that. Chair should be back for this game after going to the World Cup with Morocco and will probably be quite refreshed as well, having only played the one game at the World Cup. But QPR, they're facing Cardiff, who are having problems on and off the pitch. Just eight points from a possible 30 in the last 10 games, including just one point at home in the last four. And I do wonder if the news about the transfer embargo may turn an already slightly sour atmosphere even more so at the Cardiff City Stadium. So I'm going for QPR to make it two from two under Neil Critchley away at Cardiff. I'm going to agree with you for that on, on that one. I think it's quite, um, if you consider the players that Critchley's got available to him and the inconsistency in games under Mark Hudson, um, because they have spells where they're very good and they have spells where they're really poor um, and they're not as clinical as they need to be. Um, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Exactly, the old the old Stoke City. Um, yeah, I think it's just going to play a, a, a massive, massive part in the, the outcome of that game. Um, but I'm going with a very surprise one. I'm going with a, a Birmingham to beat uh, or to get a result against Burnley. What? Mm, yes, 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 yes. It's um, oh, what you've been uh, taking, Justin. Please tell me why <laughs> you've gone for okay. that. Okay, so Birmingham City over the years have had have this habit of just being the ultimate party poopers for teams in 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 good spirits in good form. Um, they're going away to Turf Moor. Now, bear in mind, Burnley have got the best home record in the division, and I think they've won the last six. Just going to double check that. Yeah, they won the last six at home, which is uh, which is quite the task for Birmingham City. But if we consider the fact that Birmingham have already picked up a result against Burnley, they've picked up uh, a draw away at Bramall Lane. They've won at um, the Hawthorns as well. They've got a good habit of going to these sides although West Brom at the time weren't in a good position but they were still performing relatively well Birmingham have a good habit of going to these sides um, who have good squads who are, uh, have high expectations and getting results against them now, I, I fancy John Eustace is doing the same thing the way he sets his teams up has said last weekend that it's very industrious defensively very industrious in the final third with that midfield um, adding that flair and poise um, that's needed to, to really balance out a team um, and I do think that the performance against Blackpool was a positive one coming back off the, the World Cup break they're in really um, good form they just couldn't find the back of the net and then against Reading they got the game tied up in the first 30 minutes and then sat back okay Reading got back into the game but but the game was won after 30 minutes, essentially. Uh, and then they managed the game relatively well. Um, so for that reason, I, I do fancy um, I do fancy Birmingham to, to get a result. And obviously Burnley going away to Manchester United in, in midweek in the Cup um, might be a little bit jaded, potentially. That might play a part. But yeah, certainly certainly a big call for me. But yeah, at least a draw for Birmingham this weekend. Uh, not this weekend, for Boxing Day. Sounds more like hope than expectation, <laughs> but... You can believe what you want, Justin. And um, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And there hasn't been much news in the championship over the past few days. But we have got this. Yorkshire Live say Sheffield United owner Prince Abdullah has accepted an offer to sell the club. It's the second time this year that the Blades have received a bid for them after an American businessman failed to take over in the summer. Now the identity of the prospective new owner is being kept under wraps for now. Would you sell up if you were Prince Abdullah? Justin Peach. I, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to assess his tenure either as owner. Um, it's been a, a relatively positive one, but there's been a lot of um, interesting stories that have come out. But I do think if this club's going to reach a level where it can sustain 
um, a Premier League status, then it probably needs a little bit more investment on the pitch and at the training ground as well. Obviously, they've had a new training pitch, which is a, a massive positive. Um, but the infrastructure of the club probably needs more investment now than it does um, on the pitch. Always had a good academy, um, always produced good players. Uh, and over the years, over recent years, it's had a good habit of, of, of um, recruiting good up-and-coming players that they improve uh, and potentially sell on. Um, so on that basis, I wouldn't sell up, but at the same time, I don't think his tenure has been one of great love, so perhaps it's probably just a time where he's thinking, okay, the club's in a relatively good position, it's now time to sell up. Because as I say, I, I'm really not sure how to assess his tenure um, at the club. Obviously, there was the, the, the fallout with Kevin McCabe as well. Um, it's just been a strange one, but probably probably the right time. Um and again, owning a championship club is expensive. So certainly I would sell up from that from that uh, scenario. Maybe we can assess Prince Abdullah's tenure at Sheffield United when a deal's actually complete. Yeah. But it's not a surprise for me to see Sheffield United attracting so much interest yeah. this year because they're arguably the most attractive club to buy outside of the Premier League. First of all, They've got a great chance of getting back to the top flight this season anyway, which is obviously going to pique the interest of plenty of people getting that Premier League money in the door. They've got a great young squad with a great academy, so there's lots of potential there for long-term success. They also have a massive fan base and regularly post one of, if not the highest, attendances outside the Premier League. So I'm looking at this from the perspective of a wealthy businessman looking for a British club that I can buy fairly cheaply, invest in, and potentially make a lot of money out of, if I'm in their shoes, Sheffield United are right up there in that respect, aren't they? You'd say them, Sunderland's, Burnley, maybe a few others, but Sheffield United tick pretty much all of the boxes when it comes to things like chances of getting back to the Premier League, uh, long-term sustainability and fan base. So it's very exciting news for Blades fans. Only time will tell who this potential new owner is and whether they're good for the club, but the foundations are certainly there to take them to the next level. And I think Sheffield United, the aim would be in the next five years to make themselves into a you know a permanent fixture in the Premier League. It does take a bit of investment for that to happen, but... As I say, the foundations are certainly there for that to happen, aren't they? Well, on the subject of takeovers, Coventry's is reportedly set to be complete this week, which will be a lovely Christmas present for all <laughs> Cov fans, but we'll keep you updated on that one. Sunderland midfielder Elliot Embleton faces an extended spell on the sidelines with an ankle injury. He did it during a 50-50 against Hull at the weekend. Big shame for Embleton, good young player at Sunderland, so we wish him all the best in his recovery. And finally, Championship legend Matai Vidra has a new club. He's joined Victoria Pilsen in his home country of the Czech Republic after being a free agent since leaving Burnley in the summer. It's worth, it's worth saying he suffered a serious knee injury, which has meant he hasn't been picked up sooner. But I thought he could have been a decent signing for pretty much any Championship side, whether that's as a starter or a squad player. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, apart from... The likes of Norwich, um, Burnley, Sheffield United, I think certainly there's 22, 21, 21, 22 teams there that he would have at least been a useful addition to. He's, he's a goal scorer. Um, I think his spell at Burnley was one of great shame because he just, I don't think it was utilised enough by Sean Dyche. You need to get him in and around that box as a, as a number 10 sort of player uh, and scoring goals. Um and yeah, him being back to full fitness is, is is great, and him getting a new club is great. But it's just a shame it's not uh, it's not in the yeah in in the UK. He's a a bit of a fan favourite at Burnley. I think 
some fans were quite sad to see him go, but obviously a serious knee injury and on his wages, not a surprise to see him get released. But you look at his record at championship level, pretty damn good. So that's why he probably would have been a good buy for any championship side, but not to be wishing all the best because I'm a big fan of Mr Vidra. Now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep scores. The season goes on this week. It's my turn. Uh, it's Justin's turn to guess, rather. And my turn to provide the players with the score 72-69 to myself for the season. Justin Peach, do you want the first player? Yeah, let's go. I like this. Let's go. It's good. It's good energy. Let's go. Okay. First one is Kenwin Jones and Sheffield Wednesday. Did he or didn't he? I seem to recall a loan spell in the mid two thousands. Don't know why, but maybe oh five oh six. There was a loan spell at uh, at Hillsborough for him. Close. Seven appearances in 2004. You're right. It was a loan spell. He scored seven goals in seven games. Jesus. Which is a, yeah. It was in League One. But still ridiculous. I, I was always a big fan of Cameron Jones. I liked I think him it was, as well. Yeah, qu- I think he was quite an underrated player because mm. not only was he a half-decent goal scorer, but what he brought to the team in terms of his big jump and you know <laughs> ability in the air was fantastic. Anyway, getting off topic. One out of one for Justin Peach. Next up, Ben Mee and Huddersfield. Did he or didn't he? Again, that's a tough one um, because... You just, I just associate Ben Mee with Man- Manchester City and Burnley, and now Brentford, obviously. Um, but it's going to be a loan spell, 13 appearances in like 2010, I reckon. He didn't. Made it up, didn't I? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, one out of two. Next up, Leon Best and QPR. Did he or didn't he? A natural player to... Um, drift towards while doing these is Leon Best mm. um, but I can't remember his career before like those Derby spells uh, his Derby spells like from 2014 onwards because there's about 10 clubs in that in that period um, so I'm going to say QPR was a no five appearances in 2004 <sighs> one out of three for JP Callum McManaman and Burnley. Did he or didn't he? He seems like a player who would play for Burnley. Just northwest, industrious player. Um I always thought he was a very overrated player, Callum McManaman. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, he, he, when he was. was younger, everyone was talking about him being like a future Premier League player. I was like I was never very convinced. He just ran hard. Um which is why maybe he'd suit Burnley. Um, but I'm going to say no. I don't think he crossed paths at Turf Moor. You would be correct. Two out of four for Justin Peach. Jack Butland and Huddersfield. Did he or didn't he? That's a difficult one. He came through at Birmingham. And then he signed for Stoke. And he had loan spells, obviously, back at Birmingham. He went to Derby, went to Leeds. Um but I don't think he had one at Huddersfield. 
You're right. He didn't. He did have one at Barnsley, which I was considering Ooh. putting in, and I don't Ooh, think I would have got, got that. that. No. Oh, that's so annoying. Three out of five. <clears throat> Excuse me. The pressure's getting to me. George Ellicobi and Bristol City. Did he or didn't he? I don't... He, he retired relatively young, so this should be an easier one. Um, but I can't remember who he played for before Wolves. And then he just seemed to stay around Colchester and Ipswich. I, don't, I still think he's around there now. Possibly. Um, so I'm going to say Bristol City is a... Oh, no, I've changed my mind. Yes. That is so annoying because he made one appearance on Lowen in 2012. <laughs> and it's as annoying as that where he's <clears throat> just changed his mind at the last minute. That's uh, always a bit of a kick in the teeth. Yeah, it is. Uh, four out of six. I think I've got that right. Next up, Stephen Hunt and Borton. Did he or didn't he? Who? Stephen Hunt. And who? Borton. Or Bolton. Bolton. I thought I thought you were pronouncing Burton with an O. No. Nah. Um Bolton. Ugh, nah. Nah. I don't think he did. You'd be correct. Never play for Bolton. Five out of seven. John Egan and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? He came through somewhere really random. Um it may have been Everton. Uh or it may have been Palace. But now I'm questioning myself. I was on Egan's profile not too long ago. Uh, By profile, you mean Wikipedia? Yeah, Wikipedia profile. I don't know what. Yeah, um, dating profile. <laughs> wow. Joking, I don't know what, what apps you've been using. Um, Come on, Justin. I'm going to say no. One appearance on loan in 2012. Don't know where you came through. I can't tell you, I'm afraid, off the top of my head. Five out of eight. Graham Murty and Charlton. Did he or didn't he? I I think he left Reading and went to Charlton. Um, I can just picture him. Picture him in red and white somewhere. Don't know where, though. So I'm going to say Charlton. Yes, correct. Yeah, he did play for Charlton. Yeah, I get it. I don't know. <laughs> eight appearances on loan in 2009, <laughs> so he didn't even go there permanently. <laughs> Six out of nine. Your final one, Alex McCarthy and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? Leeds went through this period of having so many goalkeepers between sort of 2011 and 2016. They had so many goalkeepers. So again, based on law of averages, you've got to say yes, because McCarthy was one of those that was picked up temporarily quite often as well. So I'm going to say yes. You'd be correct. Six appearances on loan in 2011. So that's seven out of ten for Justin Peach this week. bit fluky with some of them, which yeah, is always quite annoying. But <laughs> if, I, if I went the opposite way for Jack Butland and picked the club that I didn't think you knew he played for, but, you, you know, I'm making excuses anyway. Uh, later scores then, that means it's now 76-72 for the season so still quite tight in the old diddy or dinty score lines not much of a gap though um so we'll see considering i've got a game in hand i still fancy my chances of pulling ahead but uh ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to the second tier this week quick reminder that 
the festive period means our schedule is all over the shop so there's no episode this Sunday because it's Christmas and the next round of games are on Boxing Day and the day after so the next episode from us will be next Wednesday the 28th of December so from that episode we'll be reacting to all the games from Boxing Day as well as the 27th uh, so we look forward to seeing you then but until then have a Merry Christmas everyone you've already given us the perfect present by listening to this podcast and we are very grateful for that if you want to go the extra step further then please take a minute of your time to give us a rating and a review of this podcast on whichever platform you listen to us on and this will truly be the best Christmas Justin and I have ever had so we hope you have plenty of sherry mince pies turkey and have a right old merry time say Merry Christmas Justin. Merry Christmas. And a Merry Christmas from myself. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.